Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Could you spot a financial scandal before one spots you? Paul Lewis tells us how. Finance for freelancers. With more of us working in the so-called gig economy, what are the money matters that you need to know about? And investing in wine. Is this year's Bordeaux en primeur season a case of glass half full or glass half empty? Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, bringing you this week's money news. What are the warning signs that you could be stung by a financial scandal? Paul Lewis, our columnist and the BBC Moneybox presenter, held forth on this topic at the FT Weekend Festival last weekend, drawing on his decades of scam-busting to identify things that should ring alarm bells for savers and investors. He's written about these in his FT Money column this weekend and joins me now in the studio. Welcome, Paul. Hi, Claire. So hindsight, obviously, is a wonderful thing, but foresight is even better. Several of the points that you've made in your article relate to the high-pressure sales tactics used by those selling investments. So give listeners a flavour of what they should be wary of. Well, the first thing is offering you too big a return. You know, Bernie Madoff, the the biggest fraudster ever in in America, conned people out of billions of dollars, he only promised 10 or 12%. So it it wasn't a huge amount that he was offering. And now people are being offered... 8%, that is probably too much. If you're offered even 6%, some financial advisors say 6% is impossible. And of course, if it's promised or guaranteed, it is definitely impossible. So anything over 6%, be very, very cautious of. And the firmer the promise, the more likely it is to be a scam. The other thing is, People are encouraged to invest in things they know nothing about. Yes. What do you know, for example, about shipping containers? What do you know about the market in what they call storage solutions? What do you know about who buys graphene or rare earth metals? Well, if the answer's nothing, then why believe the research that the people send you in glossy brochures that shows you can make a lot of money? So most of the people I've come across who've been conned say, I realised very quickly think of these things and you could realise in advance. Is it overseas, for example? Now, on the other side of the world, what on earth do you know about holiday homes in Costa Rica or or rainforests in, in Brazil? Nothing at all. So why do you believe that you can invest there? You've got a foreign language, foreign contracts, foreign legal system. It just all says no. And another thing is, 
restrictions placed on whether you can sell the investment that you're buying. Yes, absolutely. That's the big thing, because it's very easy to buy these things. You just send the cash and you've got some bit of paper that says you've got them. But is there a market in them? The great thing about shares and traditional investments is you can always sell them. There's always someone who wants to buy them. But all these other things, these obscure things like car parking spaces or something like that, Will anybody ever buy that off you? What is the market in those? You don't know. All you know is that you've bought it. Is there a second-hand market? Almost certainly not. And another point that you make that I thought was particularly good is about the way that salespeople find and approach you and how Mm. you should think that through. Well, this is really the first way you can stop any of this because if you get a cold call, a cold email from someone you don't know, a cold text or anything on, on social media offering to help you make a lot of money, there is only one answer. No. Assume it's a scam. It almost certainly will be. And that's the point to stop having to make all these other judgments about, you know, (laughs) whether shipping containers are a really good place to invest your money or whether storage solutions are a really good place to invest your money. So just say no. And the government has said, we're going to ban cold calls. Well, no, it's not, not least because it doesn't know when it's going to do it. It's going to do it when parliamentary time allows. And you and I know, Claire, what that means. (laughs) They're a bit busy right now. (laughs) A, they're a bit busy. But it's a way of saying, the civil servant saying, well, we'd love to do this, but, you know, we'll do it at some point in the future. I said, pencil in the 12th of never in your diary and provisionally, and it might happen then. So, There isn't going to be a cold calling ban for the foreseeable future. And even if there is, the question I've never had answered is this. These people are thieves. They're going to steal your money. They risk jail if they're caught. Are they going to be put off by the thought of an investigation by the Information Commissioner for making an illicit call? I don't think so. Good point. But finally, one of the biggest consumer scandals, both in terms of the compensation paid out and the number of people it's affected, is, of course... PPI. A bit different, this one. Yes, payment protection insurance. Uh, I mean, I started my talk at the weekend by, by pointing out that the banks have paid out £264 billion in the last five years, the, the top banks in the world, in what they call the cost of conduct, which basically is fines for doing things that are wrong. And a big chunk of that was the British banks, and a big chunk of that was payment protection insurance. They've already paid out about £30 billion in Incredible. compensation. There's at least another £10 billion waiting to be paid out, probably more. And they were the ones who missold it to us over a long period of time. I stood up at conferences years ago and said PPI was was a very bad idea and there were huge profit margins, no one should touch it. And I was booed and I by the banking industry. They said, no, no, it can be valuable. But they've been caught out and they have engaged in, as you rightly said, one of the biggest mis-selling scandals ever. And now the regulator, the Financial Conduct Authority, says, well, you... A lot has been paid out over the last few years. We think there should be a deadline on it. So to protect us, maybe to protect the banks, the FCA has said no more claims after the 29th of August 2019. So get your claim in. Don't go with a claims management company. You can do it cheaply and quickly yourself using which.co.uk slash PPI or Money Saving Expert has got a very good site through resolver.co.uk. Do it free. Get the money. And enjoy it. It's like your very own quantitative easing. I know. I'm just ruining the day that I 
ticked no to all of these PPI things. I've been, I've been through a whole wadge of paperwork at home this weekend, thinking that I might find <laughs> an old credit card one. bill. I don't think I have either, though. Yeah, brackets check, but I, no, I, I'm sure I haven't got it. But and the thing is, it's not just you would be getting money back that you should never have parted with in the first place. You will be getting eight percent interest on that from the time the payments were made. So it comes to more than you laid out in the first place, quite significantly more. So PPIs turn out to be quite a good investment. Yes, probably the only financial scandal that (laughs) that you could say that of. Well, thanks very much there to Paul Lewis. You can read his column, How to Spot a Financial Scandal Before One Spots You, in the FT Money section of the FT Weekend newspaper this Saturday, or read him online now at ft.com slash money. If you're interested in attending FT Money's own investing events, we have two coming up in October, the first with Justin Urquhart-Stewart, of Seven Investment Management and the second with our US investment columnist Ken Fisher. Ping me an email headed reader events to money at ft.com and we can send you the full details plus terms and conditions. Going freelance, starting a portfolio career or entering the gig economy, whatever you call it, the trend of working for yourself is reshaping the UK labour market. There are now around 5 million of us who do, an increase of about 45% since the turn of the millennium. But this brings about growing financial challenges for workers who must manage their own tax affairs and also the Chancellor. Joining me now to discuss is the FT's Vanessa Holder. Welcome. So let's start with the good news for any freelancers listening. If you're a highly paid consultant or a creative, there are often big tax advantages to working for yourself. Well, that's right. The numbers are big, really big. The average tax subsidy that comes with self-employment is over £1,000 a year, according to the Institute for Fiscal Studies. And those who incorporate and sell their work through their own business get a tax saving of over £9,000 a year. Wow. Now, there are some state benefits that you don't get if you're self-employed. For instance, you don't get the contribution-based job seekers allowance and you do not get the same parental benefits. But the tax advantages, particularly for the high earners, such as barristers, are pretty big. And the lower end of the freelance scale, perhaps less consultant, creative, more courier, workers face many disadvantages. Job insecurity, zero hours contracts and lack of a company pension for starters. Yes, there have been a spate of scandals and even lawsuits over workers' rights. And that's fueled concerns that the gig economy, the online platforms that provide work for couriers, taxi drivers and the like, is fueling a precariat class of workers who are denied the protections of normal jobs. So much so that the government commissioned a review into modern working practices. It reported this summer what happens remains to be seen. There's one bit of good news, though. Since April 2016, the self-employed have built up exactly the same state pension entitlement as the employed. Well, that is a rare piece of good news. But overall, the huge rise in self-employment is worrying the Treasury because it's reducing the tax take. So what kind of measures are they deploying to help nudge it back up? Yeah, that's right. Uh, Again, it's the IFS which has done these calculations and they say that by 2022, the tax breaks will be the equivalent of £16 billion a year. So that is worrying the Treasury a lot. And you'll remember the government's humiliating U-turn in March when a backbench rebellion meant it had to abandon its attempts to raise the national insurance rate. Now, following the election, given the parliamentary arithmetic, Philip Hammond has indicated he won't proceed with that package. 
but over time I think we have to expect them to come back to it. And in the meantime, they've done a lot of other things to try and eat away at these tax advantages. Fiddling around the edges. Fiddling (laughs) around, and it's all sorts of things. There's a squeeze affecting the self-employed who claim universal credit. Uh, The VAT rules for very small businesses have been changed. Freelancers who work for their companies have been hit by higher taxes on dividends. If you took 40,000 from your company, you'd be paying an extra £1,000 a year as a result of some tax changes that came in last year. And next April, there's going to be further changes, a cut to the dividend tax allowance. But perhaps the biggest change is a squeeze on what they call disguised employment. And Mm. this only affects the public sector at the moment. It's trying to crack down on people who the government says are really employees, but they're being taxed as freelancers. And although it's had anti-avoidance rules in place since 2000, there really is a very big push, and that's having a huge effect on all sorts of people, ranging from the BBC to healthcare workers. Well, thanks very much there to Vanessa Holder. You can read her cover feature, Finance for Freelancers, which is packed with information, not just about what we've talked about, but lots of other tips. If you are in the gig economy yourself... Buy a copy of this weekend's newspaper or read online from Friday at ft.com slash money. Finally, there's always time for a glass of wine. Well, Mm. there is in the FT Money office. We know that investing in wine is something that many of you are really interested in learning more about, as it's the kind of investment that you can still drink if its value plunges. So joining me in the FT studio to discuss the Bordeaux en primeur season is Alan Livesey, the Lex writer and the FT's resident wine buff. Welcome, Alan. Hello. So... For the benefit of those wannabe wine buffs listening, can you start by explaining what en primeur actually means? And also tell me if I'm pronouncing it properly. I think you are. It is essentially a futures market for French wine. The Bordeaux wines, which Bordeaux is the biggest producer of wine in the region in France and possibly the world. And it offers a chance for buyers to buy early. So the 2016 vintage in this case was offered uh, around May, April, May, June, early on. Before that, there will be some tasting. And the reason to do this is to get the wines early. Because if you could lock them in and you thought the prices were going to go up, which was the case in the past, uh, this was a chance to to do so and and lock some in for delivery later um, next year. Okay, so this year's en primeur season in Bordeaux, was it a case of glass half full or glass half empty? It depends whom you ask. I I would say half full, and here's why. Um, We had probably better wines than in the previous vintage, and some would say some of the better best wines we've had since maybe the really really good year of 2010 and also 2009. Prices were a bit better. So looking at, for instance, uh, Livex, which runs um, a wine. It's like a wine stock market. It's like a wine stock market. Exactly. It's a big wine exchange, and so they they surveyed their members about what to expect in terms of price increases for this season. And it turned out they were looking for around 7% pickup. What we're really measuring is from where the chateau offer the price to where they're going to actually sort of close out by the summer. And in fact, it's come out to about 16%, maybe a little higher. So it was better than expected. Ask other merchants, though, further down the chain, and you get a mixed response. In Hong Kong, Altaya, one of the bigger, better-known wine merchants and investors out there, says they didn't have such a great on-premier, and on-premier is not that important to them anymore. 
Um, it used to be quite important in 2009 and 2010. Now business is way off in this bit of the market. Well, indeed, one of the reasons that this annual event in Bordeaux is such a big deal in the wine world is because it shows that the appetite or more likely thirst of international mm. wine buyers and the Chinese have been a really, really important part of driving prices up. But these days, there don't seem to be as many people prepared to pay top dollar for fine wine. I think that what's happened is some of maybe the, how should we put it, emerging market, the newer wine investors who've come in with a lot of money have matured. <laughs> They've recognized that it's not a good idea to rush into the emprimeur market, these futures markets, too early. It might be better to wait a little bit. They were also probably burned buying very expensive uh, emprimeur wines in 2009 and 2010, after which we had several years of essentially a, a bear market in Bordeaux wines. So that's part of the reason. I wouldn't say the demand is gone. I would simply say that it's perhaps matured. And what would be your key takeaway for FT Money listeners who are thinking, well, I quite like wine, I quite like investment. How could I have a go? Well, I think you can you can do a couple of things. You can I, I think it's better to try some wines, find a merchant that you you feel comfortable with, maybe. Do your research. There are a number of well known and reputable wine critics that rate wines. Not uh, least Jancis Robinson. Jancis Robinson of here, our own FC, very, very good. Also, uh, the wine advocate, uh, Neil Martin, uh, specializes on uh, Bordeaux, but there are others, and I don't want to uh, you know, ignore all of them. It, what's interesting, actually, also, is that this season, 2016, the 2016 vintage, actually, the ratings were pretty good. They were as good as they were back in the stellar year of 2010, but average prices were a little lower suggesting there is an investment opportunity if you can get the wines. And here's where the half-empty aspect of the glass is, that sometimes the big makers of the wines of Chateau have not released as much wine as they said they might do at the prices they initially stated. It's just a a wine bottleneck. There is a wine bottleneck, exactly. (laughs) And they're holding back a bit of supply, possibly to push up the price. So that's something to keep in mind. But yeah, I'd say the value is probably there if you can find the right ones. Well, thanks very much there to the FT's Anne Livesey. You can read his fantastic article in the money section of the Weekend FT, perhaps while savouring a generous glass of red. I recommend it. That's it from the Money Show this week. To get in touch with our team of financial experts, you can email us money at ft.com, tweet us at FT Money, or comment online on articles at ft.com slash money. We will be back next week at the usual time. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Goodbye.